0: heading towards Pentecost this year is Sunday, May 16th. So, um, my question is each of the holy days on each of the Holy Days, something significant within the larger redemptive story. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Something significant within the larger redemptive story took place on these appointed times. So as we recognize them each year, we learn more not about the day themselves, but about the gospel and the large redemptive story. So my question for the crew to this morning is, what happened on Pentecost? Okay. The, the Spirit of God was given. Okay, that's the easy answer. Grateful we're in one accord regarding that. But but my question is, yes, each of these are events within the gospel, the larger redemptive story. God is reconciling all things unto himself through Christ. He is making all things new. The culmination of his plan is a new heaven and a new earth, the age to come. So each of these events are a part of that. So we understand that at Pentecost, the Spirit was given, but what does that have to do with the gospel? Why was the Spirit given? What's that? Power. Power for what? For the mouthpieces to be the witness. Right? Right? In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told the 120 in the upper room to stay there and wait for the Spirit to be given. for when... Uh, ver- Acts chapter 1, verse 8, You shall receive power when the Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me to the ends of the earth. So... So... Um, so it goes a step beyond the recognition that the Spirit is given on Pentecost and we and we celebrate that promise fulfilled um, we we want to we want to take a step beyond that and remember why the spirit is given and the spirit is given to empower the saints to be witnesses right the saints to be mouthpieces the church to be the mouthpiece so um as the Lord has been leading us over the last handful of years, what's been clear is that each year as we approach Pentecost, there has been a direction regarding this congregation and the prayers that we are going to make on that day to receive power from on high, to be a witness, but, but sort of for a specific assignment for that year. I really feel like that's how the Lord has been dealing with us, highlighted last year in particular by um, a you know a number of weeks leading into Pentecost praying to empower us to be faith, faithful witnesses during times of suffering. Um, to me, that is remarkable looking at the year that was going to proceed from there. Uh, so, so us being a witness, each of us as individuals, each of us as families, this congregation being a witness every year, perhaps it's going to be that there's going to be sort of a, almost like a specific flavor of, the, of our witness or a, or a um, specific assignment regarding our witness. Last year, I'm very, very certain that God empowered us to suffer differently, to, to suffer in such a way during a year in which suffering is happening all around us, suffer in such a way, or survive in such a way, or thrive in such a way that we are bearing witness with our lives that Jesus is real. And I praise God for every way in which we were empowered to do that, probably ways way beyond we even understand. Um, but that's sort of how I feel the Spirit's leading us, like there's going to be an empowerment every year for our witness. Our witness in general is always going to be the gospel in the, in the ministry of reconciliation, but perhaps every year that specific witness is going to take a specific uh, look based on the year the, the Lord is, is, knows is coming. So So this week, and for the next two weeks, I really believe that the Lord is, um, is leading towards that moment, leading towards Pentecost. A, a, a primary aspect of Pentecost is the saints being in one accord. So, so I believe that he's once again be, be beginning to prepare us to be on the same page and in agreement about what we are going to pray for empowerment for, for the year to come and um, last week I already kind of gave the answer and um, it's interesting to me how it's kind of come to a head based on about two months back beginning this revelation regarding the divine nature and um, if you remember the, the list in Second Peter 1, ooh, this is a this'll be a good test. Let's see if we can remember the list. What's the first thing that we add to faith? Virtuous living. Second, knowledge. Third, self-control, fourth, perseverance, fifth, godliness, sixth, brotherly kindness, and the list ends with love. Okay, it what's interesting is sort of the, the parallel passage that actually the Lord gave Bonnie this morning. Um, is Ephesians chapter 4, in which um, Ephesians 3, Paul teaches about the, the revelation of the divine mystery, and then chapter 4 starts, therefore, in, in light of the revelation, in light of the revelation, Michael, that you have been chosen, hallelujah, and that's a wonderful revelation to, to finally get our heads around, I beseech you as a prisoner of the Lord to walk worthy of, the, of that revelation. Walk worthy of the truth that you have been chosen. And so Paul lists a number of things, but that list ends with what? Love. Pursue, the, um, pursue love with one another. That keeps the peace and the unity. Then Paul in, in Colossians chapter 3, and, and um, you know, some of the ways in which this divine nature idea is communicated in the other epistles is the idea of a new man putting on the new man so uh paul in colossians chapter 3 says this if someone finds it before me please read it
1: therefore as the elect of god holy and beloved put on tender mercies kindness humility meekness long suffering bearing with
0: Often the lists are very, very similar. The divine nature is the divine nature. Why would it be different based on the audience that Paul is writing to? So the lists are often very similar, similar aspects to it. Go ahead, babe. Next. Each list ends with the same thing. They always end with the same thing. So, so hear this, saints, and and I pray that each of us would never forget or miss this super simple but very very profound truth. Truth regarding something as massive as the biblical claim that you and I and all who are authentically born again have been given access and in fact invitation to literally walk in the divine nature of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that the, that the primary expression of that divine nature is always gonna be love. So I'll say that again super simply. The primary expression of the divine nature of the God of the Bible is love. Does it include virtuous living? Absolutely. And does that require knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness? A hundred percent. To walk in the divine nature is always going to include to walk in God's ways. But the primary expression of his nature is love. All right, so that was one track. A second track that, that kind of came into focus specifically during uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was this idea of first fruits and Jesus being the firstborn from amongst the dead. The question that I had was, what does it mean that one was raised in the middle of history, even though the rest will be raised in the end? And, it was, and the answer was simply, a resurrected life is now available to us. Is a resurrected life walking in that resurrected life and walking in the divine nature basically one and the same? I think it is. They're both absolutely impossible, remarkable claims. One, that you can walk in the nature of the God of the Bible, or, and second, that you can begin to walk now the way we will live in the age to come. Those are both absolutely remarkable claims that the Scriptures make. And will walking in the resurrected life uh, include everything that it did for Christ. Absolutely, that there is no uh, bondage to sin anymore. There is no slavery in Egypt anymore. That those chains have been broken. That death has been, been defeated. Absolutely, all that is the truth. But once again, the truth that I pray none of us would forget and that we would take hold of is that the primary expression of the resurrected life is love. The primary expression of the divine nature is love. The primary expression of the resurrected life is love. It was two tracks running parallel, but now coming to together as the tip of a spear in these claims that are remarkable and impossible and beautiful that God is desiring to empower us to take hold of that walking in the divine nature and walking in the resurrected life, the primary expression of those both is love. And what love in particular? The love of Jesus. The love that Jesus walked in, right? So today is, um, I don't have a ton to share, but what I have to share I think is super important because it basically is is going to create a foundation for understanding for the love that we're talking about, all right? The love that indeed we are going to be asking on Pentecost to be empowered to walk out, all right? So that is that is our request for this year on May 16th. We will come together. I believe it's going to be in the desert, but I'm only hoping. But we're going to come together, and we're going to ask in one accord to be empowered from on high to walk in Jesus' love. Somehow, someway, I believe that whatever the next year looks like, whatever the Father has planned in each of our lives over the next year, our assignment is going to be to be a faithful witness that this is all real specifically in how we love and that the next couple of weeks are going to be kind of like it was last Pentecost. It's going to be teachings to help us understand this kind of love like last year we talked about suffering for a number of weeks. This year we're going to talk about agape love. All right. So, so we'll start today by just kind of defining it. If I were to ask you guys, what is agape love? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Unconditional, right? That's always going to be the answer. It's always going to be what comes to mind. Um, the problem with that is that's not biblical. What? You guys believe that? There is not a single text of scripture that describes agape love as being unconditional. And in fact, the teaching that agape love is unconditional and that what the Father has for all of us is unconditional love is part of what has led to a lot of misconceptions about how the Father feels about sin and sinning and sinners. Right? It's, it's led to this idea that God just loves us unconditionally so what we do or how we live doesn't affect that but again I'll repeat there is not a single text that teaches that agape love or the love of the Father is unconditional okay mind's blown i i understand that but let's read a couple of texts and let's get to the bottom of then what is agape love um go back to go back to um, god's love um, and god's this idea that god's love is unconditional uh someone read for me please psalm chapter 5 verse 5 and someone else finds psalm 11 verse 5 Psalm, Psalm five. Psalm five, five.
1: The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity.
0: All right. The U, the capital U in that text is God. This is from the pages of scripture, which we believe are absolute truth inspired by the spirit of truth and without error. And this text says about God how does he feel about those who work iniquity or who sin? He hates okay. Psalm 11, verse 5. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the ones who love violence, soul hates. Okay, now, one of the things that you'll hear about God, especially as it relates to his unconditional love, is you'll hear well, God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. Right, because his love is unconditional. But what do both of these t- texts teach? He's not talking about the sinners. I mean, I'm sorry, he's not talking about the sin in either of these texts. He's talking about the sinners. right? What did he say about Esau? Okay, so there is something, there's some misunderstanding going on if, if there is a thought that the God of the Bible has blanket, unconditional love for all people right that does not conform with these texts these texts make it clear that if you are a sinner and in in sin that God hates that God hates you and that's not eric's voice that's not eric's opinion that's not eric's interpretation that's literally what's written okay now go with me to john i'm sorry 1 john 1 john 4 verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 12. Someone read that for us, please.
1: You love. Let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He, he who does not love does not love, does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that he might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the proper propitiation for our sins.
0: Propitiation is like payment.
1: Be loved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another.
0: Alright. So God give me the right words to explain with clarity. What's that? twelve he read it.
1: Oh. No. yes. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us.
0: Okay, so so what this this text states is that because God is love, and because of God's love for us, he acted, right? He acted by giving up his only son to serve as propitiation or atonement or, or to pay the price for our sins. Okay, so this single act perfectly illustrates and communicates that the love of God is not unconditional, right? Right? It illustrates that the love of God is intentional okay so I'm gonna put one priority higher than another to help us better get our heads around agape love okay cuz agape um, from a definition standpoint Strong's number 26 It is a love that is an act of will based on intention versus emotion. And its primary expression is self-sacrifice for the purpose of that will or that intention. All right, let me read that again. This is agape love primary definition when you ask the church what is agape love the answer always comes back it's unconditional love that is not the definition of agape love the biblical definition of agape love is that it is an act of will and specifically it is an act of divine will or the father's will all right so it is an action it is a choice a decision and an action based on the father's will not based on emotions, right? Based on a purpose or a will. And it often involves self-sacrifice for the purpose of that will to be carried out. So once again, do we see how Christ serving as a propitiation for our sins is the perfect act of agape love? Now, who did Christ have to die for? Who did Christ come for? Sinners. Right? What did the Psalm say that God, how does God feel about sinners? Right? It is not unconditional love towards sinners. He hates sinners. He hates sin and he hates sinners according to the text. But God's will and God's love trumps that condition of sin and he acts anyways. Right? So is his action of love above the condition of sin? Absolutely. But it's not unconditional because guess what? Someone had to die. If his love was unconditional and he didn't have a concern for the condition, why would Christ have to die? It wouldn't. He wouldn't have to. Right? The intention or the purpose or the will was above the condition. All right? So... Let me, let me use another example here. Um, Go to, go to Ephesians 5 with me and someone read verse 25. Ephesians 5 verse 25. Okay, so this love in this almost singular verse for how a husband is to love his wife, it's the same love. It's agape love. And most people would think, well, that means that you love your wife unconditionally. And I'm going to um, correct that thought because there is a higher priority to agape love than it not being based on conditions. Agape love is based on what? A will. God's will in particular. An agenda. God's agenda in particular. Agape love is the outflow of God's will or agenda or purposes. Okay? So in this text, and and as husbands, as it relates to loving our wives, you're going to get a free, we're all going to get a free husband lesson right now. Maybe the most important husband lesson you can get. Our love for our wives, based on this commandment, is not reactionary. Our love for our wives is initiating and a catalyst. How do we know that? Because it says that we are to love our wives how? as Christ loved the church and poured himself out for her. Now listen to me. When did the church start? At Pentecost. When did Pentecost happen as it relates to his death? About 7 weeks later. So, so to think that Christ's death, Christ's life being poured out for the church came before the church even was, helps us to recognize that agape love initiates. Agape love creates and catalyzes. It is not a reaction or a response. It is not based on emotions. It's not even based on conditions. Is it unconditional? We'll get to that in a minute. But what's much more important is that it is an outflow of a will and a purpose. So Christ knew what the church was going to be and going to become. And he poured himself out prior to that even existing. Because this is what agape love is. It's intentional. And it initiates. And it makes things happen based on a will and an agenda from the Father. Does that make sense? If we wait around husbands to love our wives when they deserve it, we are not loving with agape love. If we wait around to love our wives until we feel like it, or we're in the right mood, or they've done something to earn it, it is not agape love. That is human love. Agape love initiates, agape love catalyzes agape love is not responsive it's first because it's an act of will it's an act of attention of intention as an outflow of a purpose our agape love for our wives is based on god's call for them and what he is calling and creating them to be isn't that beautiful yeah Kirby. absolutely a hundred percent that's a perfect way to here's what God is trying to do today because I know this is tricky because now I'm going to say something that's really going to throw a curveball in it and you know what it is agape love is unconditional It's unconditional what do I mean when I say that it means the condition of the of the recipient of my agape love I don't get a I don't get a count that condition as to whether or not I give it or not but it's incorrect to say uh, um, it's not incorrect God is fine-tuning our understanding of agape love by not first and foremost saying it's unconditional love. That's not number one. Number one of agape is it's an act of will. It's an act of of, of intention. It's an outflow of a purpose. And that purpose trumps the conditions. What conditions? Any conditions. Just like my love for my wife trumps any conditions when I'm walking in agape love, my love for her comes first because it's an act of will. It's a decision based on the Father's purposes for her and what he's called her to become, pure and without wrinkle. <laughs> Even when she gets old. Okay, so it is unconditional, absolutely, but that's not number one. Number one is this: an act of what? Will for the Father's purposes. Just like sending Christ was. Did he send Christ without thought of the... Was the conditions never going to withhold Christ going to the cross? Absolutely. Was was God going to withhold that act of love? Because so many people would say no. He could have. But that condition was not going to stop his love. Because his love was fueled by a purpose and an intention and was based on what would be created because he chose that love. So yes, agape love is unconditional. We don't get to withhold it based on conditions. We don't get to withhold it based on emotions because the purpose for which it's used is priority number one. What does this remove from any of us as it relates to walking in this love? What is this love? It's the primary expression of the divine nature. What is this love? It's the primary expression of the resurrected life. What is this love? It's the primary expression of Jesus, a love that is entirely an act of will, based entirely on the Father's purposes and without any regard for the conditions this love is given you see the, the the small nuance that he wants us to see today it's so important because it removes all excuses
1: I think we, we read 1 John 4 when he says in verse 7, beloved, let us love one another, for love is God. Yep. And just stop yep. there. There's no condition in and around anything. He's establishing a fact.
0: Exactly right. Um, and the fact of his will and purposes for each of us in the coming year. Listen to me. He's got a will and a purpose for each of us in the coming year. Every one of us as individuals, every one of us as families, and for this congregation. He has a will for us to walk out, a purpose for the witness that each of us are going to express. And what he is saying to us, guys, is that the outflow of this purpose, as it's revealed real time, is going to be a love that is an act of will. It's an act of intention. It catalyzes, it's it's not a reaction. It's not based on emotion. It trumps any and all conditions. Conditions regarding what? The people that were called to love. Their worthiness, their politeness, their understanding of God, their understanding of the truth, their smelly feet. No condition matters when we're talking about agape love. And so what the, what the Lord was telling me last week that is now helping me understand more is the, um, I, I really felt like the word that I got was, this is an offensive love. And it was, and it was based on um, Matthew 16, that on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot stand against it and the revelation is that agape love is an offensive love to storm the gates of hell which cannot which cannot stand against it and to take what's been stolen so that's at least in some way part of every one of our assignments this year I'm 100% sure of it and convinced of it that this is going to be a year that somehow some way this congregation is going to walk in the divine nature and the resurrected life specifically expressed by this agape love that attacks the enemy and takes back what he's stolen because we're called to love as Jesus loved. Right? Both times when he says, This is the commandment I give you, to love each other as I loved. And this is what 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the enemy. Destroy. And the Lord was dealing with me last week that the church is is praying and loving and and congregating as if we're in peace times that it is not peace there is no peace we are absolutely at war and it's only been the lies of the enemy that help to to um, confuse how serious the battle is and what i feel like he's going to get ready to teach us is exactly how aggressive this love actually is That it's basically a weapon. That agape love actually is a weapon. And that when we wield this weapon in the name of Yeshua, as he did, that the Father's purposes are carried out. 19, Matthew sixteen nineteen. Okay. So, um, so when we storm the gates of hell, which cannot withstand the onslaught of agape love that we're fixing to bring, what ultimately or what fundamentally is taken back? What is, what is this love at the highest level priority, highest level purpose, highest level will, what is the agape love of the Father seeking to take? Which, which fundamentally is what? It's about harvest. That, I mean, there will be there will be other aspects of the accomplishments of agape love, because we we're we're going to share it within uh, amongst the congregation as an act of God's will and God's purposes. But as it relates to storming the gates of hell and agape love as an offensive weapon, it's always fundamentally about the harvest. It's always fundamentally about souls. And so exactly what that's going to mean for this coming year remains to be seen. But starting today, here's my encouragement to all of us. Let's let's all already begin praying that as we approach Pentecost and prepare to come together and pray for empowerment to walk in this love, that we be given um, eyes to see um, the harvest connection because I feel like that's a big part of it. And for today, your takeaway is twofold. First, is that it's the primary expression of both the divine nature and the resurrected life. The primary expression of both is agape love. Virtuous living, 100% in place. Self-control, perseverance, pruning of sin walking in holiness, all of that is foundational to walking in the divine nature and walking in the resurrected life. But the primary offensive expression of what we're being called into is agape love, love that is an act of will, the Father's will, an act of intention, the Father's intention for a specific purpose, the Father's purpose. It is absolutely unconditional, meaning we do not get it, have permission to withhold it for any conditions. But the fundamental understanding of this love is that it is an act of will. It's a decision. And as we are called to walk in that decision, I believe the Spirit is going to empower us to walk in this love in ways that just slaughter the enemy. Hallelujah. Take what's been stolen in areas where we do not see hope and have experienced no no success and no victory that victory is coming I'm telling you so praise God for it continue to ask with me for a spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of God regarding what this means for the next year for harvest okay yes ma'am